Good morning, church family. Today's reading is Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see you and worship with you this morning, and I'm excited for us to dive uh, into this text. Last week we began in chapter 11 and walked through a lot of it, just looking at responses to Jesus and how Jesus demands a response. And this morning uh, we get to continue kind of in that theme and in that vein. Um, and I'm excited for us to do that. And last week kind of opened up with this, with this idea and this big truth that's our same big truth this morning, which is that Jesus demands a response. That in our lives we can't stay neutral with Jesus, that, that we can't ignore Jesus, that for all of us, whether we've grown up in church and have been Christians most of our lives or, or whether we've been away from that, every single person in the world who's ever existed uh, has to respond to Jesus somehow. And that there are certain things in life that, that we can't be ignored, that we have to respond to, that demand a response. Last week we kind of talked about moms and Mother's Day and I was just thinking about that again this week. There's just some things in life we can't ignore. As, as a parent, uh, I've learned that when you have small children and one of those chil children uh, say, I have to go to the bathroom, you can't ignore it. You gotta deal with it, you gotta take care of it there. You can't say, just hold a little bit longer. Like you, you have to step in in that moment. It can't be ignored. I've learned as a dad, one of the things that I'm responsible for Saturday breakfast in our family and so yeah, I, at one time, uh, maybe more than once, but at least one time, I might have burned the bacon slightly. Uh, and I found out that you can't ignore what's in the oven. Now every time Tripp comes up to me, our youngest, and asks what we're having for breakfast, I tell him bacon. He'll say, Dad, can you please not burn the bacon this time? You have to pay attention. I have to be engaged. This past year, we found out that, that when toilet paper runs out, that can't be ignored. Or when the gasoline uh, runs out, that can't be ignored. It shifts your life. It shifts your priorities. It shifts your awareness. There are certain things of life we can ignore, but there are other things that can't be ignored. And Jesus is one of those things. Jesus demands a response. We can't stay neutral. We have to respond to Jesus. And so the question we began asking last time and that we're going to ask again today is, what is your response to Jesus? What is my response to Jesus? And we see this very clearly in Matthew 11 and talked about this last time, how from Matthew 11, really through Matthew 16, this, this theme is going to come up again and again, the way that people respond to Jesus kind of culminating in Matthew 16. And so let me just give you a few examples 
uh, of, this, of this truth. The first one is Matthew eleven six that we talked about a lot last week. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So the implication there, Jesus is saying, is that many people are going to be offended by him. That the message of the gospel, and this is what we talked about last week, it is offensive. It goes against our very nature because the message of the gospel is you have to die. Your goals, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, they have to die if you're going to follow Jesus. That's offensive to us. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Another example comes from verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. Repentance is a response to Jesus. And Jesus is denouncing, he's, he's condemning these cities because they did not respond rightly to him. And this morning in our text, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest is a response to Jesus. This is a call. This is an invitation for whoever in the room or watching this will hear that there's an invitation to come to Jesus. Those who are weary, heavy laden, that he will give us rest, but we must respond to that invitation. And ultimately, this will all lead to Matthew 16, where Jesus is going to ask the question of the disciples that he asked of us individually, which is this, but who do you say that I am. So every person, one way, shape, or form or another, is going to have to answer that question and is answering that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a teacher? Was he someone who's a historical figure? Was he a wise man? Was he a prophet? Or was he the Son of God? Is he the Son of God? And if he is the Son of God, it demands a response of our lives back to him. That's our truth again this morning. Jesus demands a response. And so last week as we were walking through Matthew 11, we looked at several common responses to Jesus. And they were all negative responses. The response of doubt, the response of opposition, the response of indifference, the response of rejection. That Those are four very common responses to Jesus that we see here in the text, but they're common in our lives as well. This morning, we're going to kind of shift focus, and, and here's the question that I want to ask and have us kind of answer this morning, which is this. What are right responses to Jesus? How should we respond to Jesus? How does Jesus want us to respond to him? And so that's going to kind of be the question we ask and answer with our big ideas. So let's just dive straight in. What are right responses to Jesus? Here's the first one. Thankfulness is a right response to Jesus. Thankfulness or thanksgiving is a right response to Jesus. If you have your Bible open with you this morning, just look at verse 25. At that time, so in the same frame of things that Jesus is talking about, denouncing the cities and all the things we talked about last week, Jesus declares, so this is not just something he says to the side, it's a declaration, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will or your good pleasure. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
So after all these things that Jesus has said about John the Baptist and about those who are indifferent in these cities, Jesus then makes this declaration into a declaration of thanksgiving. And for those of us who are the people of God, the children of God, one of the things that should mark our lives is gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving, praise. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We read from Psalm 34 at the beginning. We've tasted and seen that the Lord, he is good. So our lives should be marked with thanksgiving. And so Jesus prays this prayer, makes this declaration of thanksgiving to the Father. And this is out loud and in front of the crowd that's around him. He says, thank you, Father. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, that's a right response to Jesus. Which kind of raises a question. Why, why should we give thanks? Why should we be thankful? And Jesus just gives us several reasons in this, uh, this prayer, this, this statement of thanksgiving. And so let me just call them uh, to mind. These won't be on the screen. If, if you want to pull up the notes, they're available online for you. But let me just walk through five reasons why we should give thanks this morning. Why we should respond in thanksgiving that Jesus tells us in this text. The first one is this. We give thanks because the Father is Lord of heaven and earth. Look, at, that's exactly what he says. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's good news for us this morning. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what trial you're walking through. I don't know what burden you're carrying. But we serve the God who is Lord, ruler, master of the heavens and the earth. Amen? That's comforting to us. That's good news to us. And so Jesus gives thanks. Whatever you're walking through this morning is not outside of the sovereign control and power of the one who is Lord of all. So we give thanks. Secondly, Jesus gives thanks because of God's eternal plan to shame the wisdom of the self-sufficient and reveal his purposes to the weak and to the dependent. Look at what he says next, and, and this one kind of probably catches most of us by surprise. It did for me just reading through this. When, when you think about giving thanks or praying a prayer of thanksgiving, these words are probably not ones that come out very often. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? That you've hidden these things from the wise, from the independent, the self-sufficient, and understanding, and revealed them to little children now jesus is not talking about literal little children but people who would be deemed as small insignificant dependent in the kingdom of heaven he praises god he says yes father for such was your gracious will or such was your good pleasure what's jesus thanking god for in this moment or thanking the father for he's thanking him for his sovereignty for his wise plan, for the way that he rules the affairs of men, for his sovereign purposes and how he shows the gospel to people who don't deserve it and who are dependent and needy, but those who are wise in their own eyes and wise in the world and have understanding by world standards that they're, it's hidden from them, that they can't see it, that they don't understand it. God, Jesus thanks the Father for this gift hidden the things from wise and understanding, those who are wise by the world standards, reveal them to little children, those who are weak and dependent. And the key word is the word reveal, uh, apocalypto. It's, it's to show something that was unknown. God has chosen to reveal the good news 
to those who are insignificant and dependent to us. And so in, in this passage, it's important for us to recognize that there's this tension that Jesus is bringing up of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And it's important because this is a tension that the Bible shows us all throughout Scripture, and we see here. A few verses earlier, Jesus makes it clear in verses 20 through 24 that these cities are being condemned because they chose not to repent. So they had Jesus' message, they had the miraculous works, and yet they chose not to repent. So they are responsible for their rejection. But then here in these verses, we see that Jesus celebrates that this is all a part of God's big plan. It's a part of his sovereignty that this, it would happen this way, that the wise would not understand and that those who are dependent would receive the message. And it's important to talk about it because I think for some of us, when we read passages like this, we, there's kind of a tension that happens in our heart, uh, maybe even a little bit of um, frustration. God, why would you do it that way? That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus celebrates said this is a part of God's good plan it's a part of God's good pleasure this human responsibility that God's sovereignty that God is in control of all things and yet we are responsible for our response to God and one of the best ways to know to illustrate it is I, I heard this story once that David Platt was sharing he's a pastor he was talking about flying to India to preach the gospel at this crusade and he showed up at the airport, made his connections, and when he made the connecting flight, like, everything was messed up. Like, the flight was overbooked, he missed the flight, didn't get on it, and was incredibly frustrated. So he was going to miss this opportunity to speak to thousands of people that night who didn't know Jesus. He finally got there the next day, and it ended up that one of his friends had gone before him, and he got to preach, and that hundreds of people had come to faith that night when David wasn't there. And David said, I looked at that whole, that whole example, and I knew in that moment that God is sovereign. He kept my plane from getting there. He didn't want me to be there. He wanted my friend to get to preach. He wanted these other people to hear the gospel. But I hold Delta responsible. And I love that tension, that God is sovereign over all things. He's working things out for his good pleasure, but there is responsibility. And Jesus celebrates that. He's thankful for that. And so I think just a couple points of application that are really important for us this morning are this. One is we need to recognize we are prone to self-deception. We are prone to self-deception. God has hidden these things from the wise, that the way we see life, the way we see God's word is often not the way things are. Our hearts lie to us, our emotions lie to us, our feelings lie to us. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's in curably wicked who can know it hebrews 2 1 says beware brothers and sisters unless you drift and that idea is that we are prone to drift away from what is true what is what is right and so when when jesus thanks god the father for hiding these things from the wise revealing them to the weak we want to make sure that we aren't putting ourselves in with the proud and the wise that we're not prone to self-deception we're not giving ourselves over to that the second question i think that's really important from this text is this is there any area of our lives where we where you are trusting in your own wisdom instead of god's word is there any area of your life this morning where you're trusting in your own wisdom your own understanding other than this word 
that truth is found in God's word. And Jesus celebrates that. He thanks the Father for his purposes and plan. He delights in that. So we give thanks because the Father's Lord of heaven and earth. We give thanks because of the Father's wise plan. But third, Jesus gives thanks, and we can give thanks because Jesus has all authority. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. We can give thanks this morning because Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? Matthew's tipping his hand of what's going to happen in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to Jesus so we can go make disciples. Jesus is bringing that to our attention, that authority is his, so we give thanks. Fourth, we give thanks because the Father and the Son are one. Look with me in verse 27 again. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. What's Jesus saying? The Father and the Son are one. That word to know, it's an intimate word. It's intimate language. Why does that matter? Hang in with me for a moment. What this means is that God doesn't need us. Father doesn't need us. Son doesn't need us. They have everything they need in unity, the Trinity. And yet they still choose to love us, pursue us. That's good news this morning. That everything the Son needs is in the Father, and everything the Father needs is in the Son. And yet God sent His Son to rescue and redeem us. Not because He needs us, because He's choosing to show His gracious love for us so we can give thanks this morning we can praise God we can live in awe of who he is and what he's done I've heard it said before that two men standing at the foot of Mount Everest no one stands at the foot of Mount Everest and argues about who's taller they just look up in awe and wonder And what Jesus is calling us to here is not to think about who's better or who's worse or who's more spiritual or who's wise or who's weak and dependent. It's to look at God in awe and wonder at what he has done. Which leads to the last reason we can give thanks. We give thanks because Jesus, salvation belongs to Jesus alone. Salvation belongs to Jesus alone. Look at the end of verse 27. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him salvation belongs to the son the one who opens the eyes of those who are blinded by their sin so we can give thanks this morning we give thanks because he is lord of heaven and earth we give thanks for his sovereign plan we give thanks because the father and the son are one we give thanks because authority belongs to Jesus. We give thanks because salvation is found in him alone. And so you might be listening to this saying, all right, I I get it. Why are we spending so much time talking about these things? And I'll be honest, reading this text, uh, and I've been excited to get to preach this passage because we love verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We, we love that verse of Scripture. We love to quote it. We love to talk about it. But friends, this is important. We can't come to Him unless He's the one that we, who is worthy of us to come to Him. 
And all of these truths that we just read through that are in the first few verses show us that Jesus is the one who we can come to. Why? Because all authority is his. Because this is a part of God's sovereign plan. Because he is one with the Father. Because salvation belongs to him. We can come to the Son. It's good news this morning. And so a right response to Jesus is thankfulness. But a second right response that we see in this text is trust. Trust is a right response to Jesus. Look at verse 28. Come to me. The one who has authority. The one who is one with the Father. The one who delights in the Father's plan. The one who is able to reveal salvation to those who can't see it. Come to me. See, the emphasis is on the giver of rest before it's on the rest itself. And this is a temptation for us. We like God's gifts sometimes more than we like the giver. We read this passage and say, oh, I want rest for my soul I'm, I'm weary and tired and God wants to give us rest but this is important God doesn't want to just give you rest God wants to give you himself but rest comes from the giver he says come to me is the invitation and it's not someone will but I will give you rest Verses 28 through 30 don't make sense apart from verses 25 through 27 because verses 25 through 27 show us that he is the only one who can give rest for our souls. And so we see the giver of rest, but second, we see the promise of rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the promise. What's Jesus talking about? those who labor, those who are heavy laden. I think there's two things that are in view. And these two things apply to us this morning. The first is this. Those who are laboring and who are burdened, who are heavy laden with legalism and with earning. Those who are weary from trying to earn their way to God, to trying to do everything you can so that God would love you, who are weighted down with all the legalistic rules that we build around ourselves to say, if I do these things and show up and I don't do these things, then I will be worthy before the Lord. Jesus is saying, if you are weary from earning, if you are weary from trying, if you are weary from trying to earn God's favor, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. And we know that the Pharisees, they put heavy burdens, heavy weights, that if you're going to be holy in God's sight, you have to do this, do this, do this, and avoid this, this, and this. And if you leaned more on one side or the other, then you weren't going to get it. And Jesus says, it's not about earning, it's not about legalism. Come to me. Those who are burdened with legalism and earning. But secondly, those who are just burdened with guilt and sin. Who are weighed down by their sin. Who are weighed down by their addiction, who are weighed down by their worry, who are weighed down by their anxiety, who are weighed down by your anger, by your lust, by your brokenness, by your selfishness, your greed, whatever those things are, your fight for control, your, your love of power, your desire to have affirmation, all those things kill the soul. They weigh down the heart. Our heart wasn't made for those things. So if you are burdened and broken from the weight of sin, Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Come to Him. 
and he will give you rest. I love uh, the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. But it's this picture of this guy named Christian. He's carrying this massive weight on his back. And throughout the story, he can barely move and walk because the burden is just too heavy. He can't carry the load. And he eventually, through the story, he ends up at the cross. At the cross, he, he realizes Jesus' payment on his behalf for his sin. And at that moment, his burden falls off his back. It's lifted. It goes to the cross. And this is what the gospel is. It's the good news of our sin, our shame, our weariness, our work, our effort going on Jesus instead of ourselves. He can carry your burden. If you are weary this morning, heavy in sin, he can give you rest. We put our trust in Jesus because he alone has authority and ability to bring rest to the soul. Friends, what weight are you carrying this morning? What burden are you carrying this morning? Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. He alone can give you rest for your soul. What are you resting in this morning? St. Augustine once said, Our hearts are forever restless until they find their rest in Thee. What are you resting in this morning? What are you trusting in this morning? Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust is a right response. Laying down our burdens, laying down our brokenness to Him. Which leads to a third big idea, third response. Pursuit is a right response to Jesus. Pursuit is a right response to Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, then take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does it mean to take my yoke upon you? What is that? That's, that's a pursuit word. Jesus is saying, come to me with your burden. Come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your sin. Trust me. Give it to me. But then take my yoke upon you. And the yoke is, is a picture that, that was used often in the New Testament. There were kind of two types of yoke. One was a yoke that one person would put on their shoulders. There would be a weight on either side, kind of a counterbalance, and you would carry whatever that load is from one place to another. And oftentimes, that was a picture of oppression. So if you were a slave in a certain company, country, or you can think about Egypt and the Israelites, yokes would be put on their back. They would carry these major weights. But Jesus is referring it to a different way. There was another type of yoke, and this other type of yoke was for two oxen. And it would be put over the necks of both, but one would be a stronger and one would be weaker. And the stronger one would pull the majority of the load. And while it's doing that, it's teaching and training the younger one how to do this, how to follow this path. And this is what Jesus is talking about. That if we are going to cast our burden on him, we also must pursue him, we must follow him. But the good news is that he is the one who shows us how to live. He is the one who carries our burdens for us. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's not talking about oppression. He's talking, talking about religion, but he's talking about discipleship. Look to me, learn from me, follow my example, and you will have rest. You will have life, 
My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's not saying that the Christian life is easy. We know that that's not true. All throughout scripture it says those who follow Jesus are going to face trouble and trial and persecution. But he's saying that in following him, the joy that comes with knowing Jesus, trusting in him, learning from him, far outseeds the burden that we have when we try to do that on our own power. We pursue Jesus because he not only bears our burdens, but he teaches us how to live in freedom. Learn from me. And Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah 6.16, which says this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. And here's the key part, and find rest for your soul. Jesus is saying, if you will come to me, if you will pursue me, if you will trust me and pursue me, I will show you the way to walk. I will show you the way to live. I will point you back to the ancient paths. I will disciple you and you will find rest for your soul. The way we rest in Jesus is through faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. They always go together. They cannot be separated. So we pursue Jesus not just because he bears our burden, but he teaches us how to live in freedom. But secondly, we pursue Jesus not because following him is easy, but because he is good. His way is good. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite lines is they're talking about Aslan the lion, the the figure that represents God. And these children are, are asking about the lion and say, is he safe? And, and, the, and the beaver they're talking to responds and says, no, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's good. Following Jesus is not safe. Jesus is not saying the Christian life is a life without difficulty or suffering or hardship, but he is good. And so when you take his yoke upon you and you learn from him and you walk in the true ways, the right ways, the ways of his word, it doesn't mean hardship goes away from your life, but it means joy gets pressed into your life. A joy that is greater and deeper than the hardship. Following Jesus is hard, but the joy that's found in knowing him and being known by him is incomparable to the burdens of life. The Apostle Paul talking about this says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison it's good news this light momentary affliction and in this life it doesn't feel like light momentary affliction but that's what it is in the short run it's preparing us for something so much more and so much greater which leads us to the last and final question this morning what is your response to jesus what is your response to jesus Last week we talked about, is it, is it doubt? Is it opposition? Is it rejection? Is it indifference? Or is it thankfulness? Is it trust? God, I surrender what's going on in my life. I give it to you. I give myself to you. Is it pursuit? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take the yoke upon myself, and I'm going to learn from you and follow you and walk in your ways by the power 
of your spirit. What is your response to Jesus? Jesus' invitation to all this morning is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? So we're going to respond to the gospel. If there's anyone here that you've never given your life to God, you've never laid your burdens down before God, you've never given your sins to Jesus Christ, brother or sister, friend, I encourage you, turn to Jesus this morning. Trust in Jesus this morning. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, this, this call to come to Him, burden is easy his yoke is light he is gentle and lowly of spirit which means he's good we get to celebrate through the lord's supper this morning and the lord's supper is an example of god's proof that jesus will carry our burdens the bread that was broken represents his body that the blood from the juice the the cup it represents his blood that was shed for us And it's proof that we can come to Him. We can trust in Him. We can pursue Him this morning. So I just want to give you a moment before we take the Lord's Supper together just to take some time to examine your heart.